Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR. 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Welcome to Herds and Curds with Leanne McLean and Carmen Bateson. Today we're in conversation with farmhouse goats cheesemaker Corin Blackett from Drysdale on the Ballerine Peninsula. Hello, Corin. Hello, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining the program. My pleasure. Yeah. Have you got a nice spot where you're sitting today? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm sitting outside looking at my ducks in a beautiful day in uh, southern Victoria. Oh, how beautiful. Um, so just a bit of background, Corin and her partner Peter began their farm milking sun and goats in 2005 on the Ballerine Peninsula. Corin, tell us how you began farmhouse cheese making and is it something that you imagined that you would do? Oh, look, um, Pete and I were overseas for quite a few years living there and then when we got back to Melbourne in, trying to think what year it was now, 88 maybe, mm-hmm. um, we just realised we didn't want to live in the, in the city anymore. So we came down to visit Peter's sister in Queenscliff and just fell in love with the Bellarine. So we bought a few acres a couple of years after that and um, just put goats on there to keep the grass down. And as those fibre goats, cashmere goats, got old, we Mm. replaced them with milking goats just for milk for um, for the kitchen. And it got to a stage in the early 2000s when we were starting to really seriously think about what we wanted to do. And the Bellarine was in the process of becoming... um, a foodie destination rather than just potato farms and a bit of sheep and here and there it was starting to have wineries and olive groves and we just sort of thought well maybe someone should do cheese mm. and uh, that that was and that became you. Where, where the idea came from yes mm-hmm. and so you milk sarnen goats how many goats do you have and why did you choose the sarnen yeah i have a tiny milking herd of 30 mm-hmm. and i milk once a day because that um that is the easiest for me to handle. And the Sarnans, because I love their, uh, their temperament. We did have some Toggenbergs to start with and actually had quite a bit of trouble with kidding. Oh. And a friend, a very close friend of mine, had Anglo-Nubians and I just didn't get on with those animals. Oh, it no. was just a personality thing that uh, once I got Sarnans from another friend uh, actually in Melbourne, um, it was just obvious that they were the, they were the right personality for me and they're also quite a large animal so it's kidding isn't a problem Carmen do you know those particular goats that Karen has have we you worked the salmon are the yeah. same the, we have the same they're the big white ones that you oh, see they're the same mm. okay yeah, yeah. at holy goat yes. yeah so right. Lee has visited yeah. me at holy goat yeah <laughs> they are big yes, I, I found them <laughs> I, I, I was a bit nervous around them wasn't I yes <laughs> have you you have you been to holy goat Yes, I have, and um, actually I, I saw um, Anne-Marie and Carla a, a few weeks ago and they've invited me to come up for another day's cheesemaking. Oh, so I'm great. really going to try and do that this winter. Oh, how great. So tell us about your relationship with them because they all have names. You you have a connection yeah, but, to your animals, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because we're um, members of the Dairy Goat Society of Victoria, every animal is a pedigree. Mm-hmm. So you can either number them. I mm-hmm. mean, they all have their tattoo number, but we name them as well. So we have a... A working relationship, really. They're my they're co-workers. Your, that's rather right. Than my they're herd. your colleagues. Mm-hmm. 
And so because I handle them every day, we have a really close relationship and uh, that also means that when they kid, um, I can help them with birthing if that's required and then the next generation becomes attached to me as well. And how often do your goats kid? Now I do split the herd, so every animal kids every second year and I think that adds to the longevity of their milking career. So my oldest milker died last year at 13, which wow. is really quite a feat. And yeah. was she, what, um, how much milk was she producing at, at 13? Was she still a great milker? Oh, towards or? the end, there's not that much because I stopped kidding them at about 10. Okay. So she had been milking through for, you know, two to three years and, uh, you know, it dwindles to not much, but it's all part, they're all part of the herd hierarchy. Okay, and tell, for listeners that don't know or don't have that connection to goats, um, talk a little bit that, about how goats continue to milk, um, that they yeah. don't need to kill every mean, year. Cows do the same, but mm. because of the, uh, the larger dairies where production is king mm-hmm. and you really do have to push your animals to make enough milk to pay for themselves, you're, you're, that's why most place, big places tend to kid or calf every year, whereas I'm more concerned with the animal welfare. Mm-hmm. So by kidding every second year, the milk continues to be produced, but it decreases over that time. Mm-hmm. So you have a lovely ethic about the production of milk and you know your, your farming practices and your relationship with your animals. Talk a little bit also about your farming practices. Yeah, um, look, we're not certified organic um, because that would lead to a whole heap of more paperwork and expense. Mm-hmm. But we do farm with permaculture principles in mind. So um, we don't have a large area of land. Probably between the two properties, it's about seven acres. Okay. Um, and we move, rotate the animals from paddock to paddock every four to five weeks so that we try to minimise uh, intestinal worms mm-hmm. and give the grass an opportunity to grow. And so with it's that... Ro- as much as we- Sorry, with that rotation, you oblige, does that mean that you're then not obliged to vaccinate or...? I do vaccinate. Mm-hmm. My other uh, job is uh, a pharmacist and I do oh. really believe in vaccination. Okay. Uh, the clostridium is really important, but also mm-hmm. tetanus, all those things that you pick up in the soil mm-hmm. that uh, without vaccination you're leaving your animals open to infection. Okay. So uh, that's the other thing that I do. I don't worm uh, regularly, I only worm if there's symptoms mm-hmm. and maybe only worm two, three times a year, if that, because they do do maintain their health quite well. Okay. So, and you mentioned two properties. What's the, um, talk about your landscape, um, your pasture or vegetation that is, that yes. is on so your property. We have property. the home property where we uh, first came to, and this is basically where we kid. So when the animals are close to kidding, we'll bring them back here so that I can keep an eye on them. Oh, it's also more fortified, so it's less chances of dog or fox attack. Mm-hmm. And then the other farm where we is really Drysdale Cheeses on Scotchman's Road is unimproved pasture. It's amazing how things just come through from year to year, brassicas, all sorts of sort of, you know, odd weeds that they like to eat. And I don't rip, I don't sow, and it's just, basically whatever grows. And does that include native grasses? There's not a lot of native grasses left on the Bellarine. However, the there is thing. diversity on your landscape. There is diversity. It used to be a horse property. Mm-hmm. So when we bought it, there was nothing growing. It oh, was right. just a dust bowl. But as the goats have been fertilising and moving and we've been rotating, a lot of different things have come through. 
Um, nettles still come through, but we are getting rid of those. And Cape weed is starting to dwindle as well. So we're getting more interesting grasses coming through. And do the goats eat nettle? No. They don't? No, mm. no. They don't even... like. Obviously, it's obviously the stinging bit of mm-hmm. it. So we've uh, had a just trying to eradicate them over the years. Okay. And what about, um, as as browsers, um, what about forage of um, trees? Um... Yeah, we've, we've grown quite a few shelter belts on the area mm-hmm. and so a lot of acacia, a lot of tagasasti, oh. which is a tree lucerne. Which is a goat dessert, have... isn't it? They love tagasasti. Pardon? It's like a goat they dessert. Mm, they do. Mm. But the other thing that they love is um, mirabush, which is a copromosa, which is a coastal weed, mm-hmm. and there's a large stand of that on the property. So they just love eating that because oh. we are so close to the sea. How fantastic. Hello, I am Gabriel Gatte. 3CR is like a souffle, a challenge to make, but it can just go higher and higher and higher. Support 3CR. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. Okay, Corin, tell us about... Talk us through your working day. Okay, well, every day's different, but... Generally, I get up fairly early, um, do a a little bit of bookwork and emails, go down and milk, and then come back, bring the milk back to our home property, which is where the manufacturing room is, Mm -hmm. and then whatever needs to be made that day. I do tend to make to order, Mm -hmm. so whatever needs to be made that day, I'll do, and then finish up maybe 4 p.m., 5 p.m., depending on what I've made, then go back down to the farm and feed, water, and lock the girls up again. Okay. And, and so like, I have access to the milking shed with the car in the morning. Okay. And so the, at night time they um, get locked in, or they have a shed to go into? Not, well, they're in a paddock mm-hmm. uh, with shed and under trees and a bit of a shelter, but I don't lock them inside, no. Okay. So they're free to roam. Um, and it's less of an issue with the big girls, with um, foxes and dogs. But certainly when the kids are born, they go inside for the first month, okay. uh, first week, I beg your pardon. Okay. And um, what products do you make on in your dairy, in your cheese room? Uh, well, obviously goat's milk, um, goat's milk yogurt. I make a soft cheese, a feta style, halloumi, uh, blue mould, white mould, and a little bit of cheddar at, uh, at kidding time, in springtime when I have a, a flush of milk. Okay, and your um, cheese room, do you, um, is it a small cheese room? Talk us through your cheese room a little bit, whether it's temperature controlled or what kind of maturation. No, it's just, it's a tiny little room. It's not temperature controlled. Um, I just have a manufacturing area, a packing area and a cool room. Lovely. And that's really all there is. That's great. It's very um, low tech. It's good because we all know how much cleaning is involved in um, when you make cheese, so it means you've got minimises your cleaning if you can maintain mm. a small cheese room. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. 
Um, and as a farmhouse cheesemaker, what are what are some of the challenges that you face? So you you work with a herd of animals and you transform your milk um, into your product. What is you know it's a b- very particular role. It's not a common role. We don't have many farmhouse cheesemakers in Australia, really. In a way, you're quite unusual, I suppose. Um, yeah. What are some? What have been some of those challenges? Well, I think with all small businesses, it's the relentlessness of it. I mean, you really do have to be there every day and do it and supervise. And is it um, just you and Peter? Is, yes, it is. Mm. Yeah. And uh, the other thing is, I've always said, when you're dealing with livestock, you're going to deal with dead stock. And mm. there are catastrophic losses from time to time. Mm. And that can actually be quite difficult to cope with and quite emotional. Mm. Um, the physical work really doesn't worry me. Um, you know, lugging hay bales and things like that, I'm quite happy to do that. But I think uh, it's the... Not never-ending. I think that's that's a little bit unfair to say that, but it, it's it's every day. It mm. really is every day. And if you're sick, well, you have to make contingency plans. And Peter's my backup and I'm his backup, so you're sort of really restricted in what you do. Do you ever get to have a holiday, Corinne? No. <laughs> in winter, we might nip, nip away for a day or an overnight or a yeah. day trip or something like that. But to have a, a full-blown holiday, uh, no. Because actually you milk every day, don't you? I'm do you milk every day, day of the year? Yes, I do. I split the herd, so half's pregnant, mm-hmm. and the other half I continue milking because um, I like to maintain my cheese supply on some of the local menus. Okay, and do you, so? Do, and do you make cheese every day? Uh, not every day. Uh, probably four days a, a week this time of year, and then closer to every day when once the, the milk starts flowing after kidding in the spring. Mm, so it's your so we're work- coming into the quiet time of year now, which yeah, is nice. That's lovely. It's a big working week. Oh, yes, yes, it can be, yes, especially mm. once the kids hit the ground. Mm. Carmen, you need to give Corinne a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Possible. <laughs> yeah. You need to have a backup for two be. weeks of the year. Lovely. <laughs> Contemplate that. We're lucky we've got a, a fabulous tenant that lives in the house on the farm and Laura comes over and helps me milk a couple of times a week, which has been great. Oh, that is great. Is your milking automated? Do you... No, no uh, all manual. I just have manual. a couple of mini milkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's an improvised system that's just grown over the years and I've often looked at it and thought, oh, I should upgrade, but I think well, for 30 goats, it's probably not worth it economically. And I bet uh, it's it'd be na- nice. Is it nice and quiet? No, it's noisy, but I have okay. uh, earmuffs with the radio in it. So uh, oh, pop along. <laughs> and so, Australia, actually, we don't really have a grand history of cheese making. So, in, if if you've got a problem, what resources av- are available to you, and or who supports you? Where do you find this kind of information when you've got a problem? Um, touch wood, I haven't really had a problem. Um, there's been maybe once that I've had an issue with a starter, so I've gone back to the importer cheese links they're, they're always great for information but mm-hmm. because um i don't know i've just been lucky there's been a couple of batches that haven't worked but in most cases i've been pretty happy with what i've made and um there's always technical support with the asker nights and and you know um meetings and conferences that are always available and notes mm-hmm. as well and the webinars but uh i don't i've been lucky I've just been managed to muddle my way through most most problems. Oh, that is great. And in terms of change in our industry, have you seen lots of change, whether it's negative or positive, you know, the evolution of our industry? 
Mm-hmm. Look, it's been fabulous the last few years. Certainly when we started in 2005, even Dairy Food Safety Victoria was very dismissive. Mm-hmm. And we found it quite hard to get an initial registration. Because you Whereas were a small producer? Actually, because you were a goat producer? Oh, a small producer, or? yeah. Mm-hmm. I was told I wasn't worth the time required to, oh. um, to come out and audit us. Wow. The people that come out and audit us now are fantastic. Okay. The attitude has changed. That's great. And uh, customer acceptance has just been amazing when we started. I'd hear quite often, don't like goat's cheese whereas now everyone's very eager to try. Mm-hmm. And the number of people that come to me and say, I want to be a farmhouse cheesemaker, can I spend a day with you? Is just, um, I, I get a, a request almost weekly now. And so and what would your, mm, so do you, you let those people you come? But, that's right. And what would your advice be to those people that do want to be a farmhouse cheesemaker? Oh, look, do it. Because in terms of um, having a market, the market's there. The market is there. Mm-hmm. And as small cheesemakers... We can't satisfy it at the moment. So I'd say do it. Buy as much land as you can afford. <laughs> not too remote. Stay close to your customer base. And uh, invest as much as you can in infrastructure and shedding. And once you've designed something that you think will work, if you can, double the size. Because <sighs> that will be the, the ability to then expand if you want to. That is great advice for up-and-coming farmhouse cheesemakers. And we need more. Mm. You're right, I agree. We need more farmhouse cheesemakers. There's a real groundswell. How about, um, I'm just interested in terms of like when you are setting up, um, how you work through the, all the paperwork, the you know, health and safety, the um, just the regulations around being a small farmhouse mm-hmm. producer. Look, again, um, the dairy food safety Victoria website is fantastic. They have templates on there that you can start working through. And once you're allocated a supervisor, they're brilliant for right. just making contact for questions and, and just step by step, work through, write your food safety plan and write something that is specific to, to what you can achieve. Yeah. So it's good. You've got someone that you can actually chat to and, and get support from. And you have from. to because yep. with those regulations, they can be so onerous yeah, that was if what you I was don't wondering. have someone on the inside mm. talking you through. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. You run cheesemaking classes and also your you have farm open days. So just tell yes. people if they're interested um, and also your Instagram. Give us your Instagram name mm-hmm. or your, your website. It would be lovely if people wanted to make mm-hmm. contact with you. Mm, sure. So I do um, a few cheesemaking classes during the year, mostly at uh, Springdale Community Centre, which is the community centre in Drysdale. So there's a few opportunities there to come along and learn home cheese making. Are they well and attended, Corinne? Yeah, they do tend to book out. I'm yep. really lucky with that. And we have fun. I mean, it's just one day. Yep. On a Saturday, we started at 10 in the morning 
and we finish mid-afternoon and we do tend to have a lot of fun. Uh, And then people get to take their piece of cheese home. And I open the farm once a month uh, from, let me see, October to May, October to June, I beg your pardon. And uh, that gives people an opportunity to come and see where we are, pat the goats and try some cheese. And we always have cheese available to buy, as well as some local producers, so smoked fish, uh, bread, preserves, and our honey is um, going to be ready for harvesting for our next farm gate. I have an Instagram account, which is Corin Drysdale Cheeses, and my website is drysdalecheeses.com. How's the community around Drysdale, like in Ballerine? Um, I know you, you were saying it's like kind of quite a foodie destination. Is it? Um, is that developing more and more? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's been the biggest change in the past 12 months is the ferry from Port Arlington to Melbourne. Oh, really? Oh, That's right. been People significant. Have, uh, oh, it's changed everything. Mm. Everything. We're getting different people. It's just, it's amazing. Amazing. You know, just a, a palmy in the pub is not good enough anymore. Mm-hmm. Port Arlington's just changing almost daily. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good a good hot tip. I, oh, I, good. I forgot, yeah, I forgot I about the ferry. Be a good mm. day out. Mm. Maybe we should do it, Carmen. Yeah, that'd be lovely. <laughs> yeah, no, you should. It's good. It's a lovely trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. Great. Well, thank you so much, Corin. Yeah. Have you um, got heaps of work? Have you finished your working day or you've got to still feed oh. at night? No, we're light day today because Friday's uh, Friday. Actually, I didn't mention Friday's delivery day. So we've done our deliveries and now I'm just going to um, tidy up a little bit and mix up a bit of feed and then go down and lock up the goats. Uh, And do you do all of... I sit on the back veranda with a glass of wine this afternoon. (laughs) I'm sure you deserve it. Do you do all of your distribution? Yes. Yes, we don't go... Because we only produce, well, three tonne a year... um, we do our own distribution to local restaurants mainly mm-hmm. and a couple of providors, but uh, it's the restaurants that keep us going. And, and, just and so all of here. your production is sold locally? Yes, that's, yes. That's, and if I could double it, it would be, I could do it as well. That's, that's fantastic. just the demand. It's just amazing. Oh, well, it's really exciting to see a local food production mm-hmm. and to see that food's being consumed really locally And that's as why well. I say to people, if you want to do this, just do it. mm just do it and it's the also there. and it's great advice to actually you you know you've considered your um, customer base actually you've considered where you can distribute your product and you've you've mm-hmm. positioned yourself really well the other thing mm. i like is that you're actually you do have a non-competitive spirit about about encouraging mm. other people to get into your industry oh yeah now for me knowledge is all about sharing mm. and um and there was another cheesemaker in moriac not far from us um, but she actually uh, had to close for personal reasons about a year ago, and I really miss her mm. because it was it was good to have the two of us in the same area. Yeah, it was uh, just yeah. But anyway, and uh, it's good it, to yeah. grow that collegial kind of relationship oh, with other cheesemakers because so actually important. we're all individuals in this industry. But when we get together, we're we're one another's colleagues. Um, oh, absolutely. So and I, to think to think that you're you're not it, look. There's lot. The pie is big enough for everybody, mm. and. Um, what I make is different to what everyone else makes and it's just, uh, I think it's a fallacy to think that you're in competition with everyone. That's mm. right. Every cheese room has a, a, an ambience actually and so we're not, mm. even if we are all doing the same production techmi- techniques or, you know, using the same cultures, we do actually different. produce different products. Mm. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm.
Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today on Herds and Curds, Corin, and we hope that we can get down there one Sunday. Yeah, we'll try and come down soon. Okay. Thank you very much. And listeners, there is just one update to this interview that we need to mention. Corin has been in contact with us and said that at the moment her farm gate and cheesemaking classes are on hold. And just check her website if you'd like to know more about when they're going to be starting up again. But they won't be until the the new year because she's actually working on a new cheese manufacturing room. And that website is drysdalecheeses.com.